Okay, so welcome to the inaugural Data Protection Breakfast Club. I'm really excited to be here with you. Uh, these are going to be conversations between myself, Andy Dale, and Pedro Pavon about uh, technology, the world, data, and other random topics we like. Uh, we're going to do one episode a month, dropping in the morning, so people can have coffee and breakfast uh, and enjoy it uh, while we talk. So the the Initial intro here. I'm Andy Dale. I'm the GC uh, of a company called Alice. It's a personal engagement and gifting platform based in Boston. And prior to Alice, I was the general counsel of Session M, uh, which was a marketing tech company in the loyalty space, which was acquired in 2019 by MasterCard. Um, and prior to that, I uh, was the head of the legal team at DataZoo, an advertising tech company, which is which is where we met. And prior to that, I was on the uh, legal team at TD Ameritrade in a law firm, worked at ESPN, <laughs> and taught tennis to kids and all sorts of other stuff. Um, and I'm excited to have these conversations with you. So maybe you you tell tell everyone a little bit about you and then we'll get going. That's good. We should do these long-winded intros for every episode. Nah. <laughs> and to, and maybe once. Um, yeah, no, I think once is more than enough. But. Um, Thanks, Andy. And thanks for inviting me on this uh, fun endeavor. I think we're going to make the best. We're going to have some good times. Anyway, uh, my name is Pedro. As Andy mentioned, I work at Salesforce. I'm on the privacy legal team uh, at Salesforce. And I uh, wear a bunch of hats within the team, one of which is our CCPA compliance strategy. I'm the head of privacy for Latin America. And I'm also the lead privacy counsel for our global data governance activities, um, both controller and processor. So super nerdy stuff. Um, lots of fun. Before, before Salesforce, I was at Oracle, did some of the same things, had a big team there, and we built this really massive practice uh, before Oracle private practice. Before that, I was at the Justice Department. I was at Fed. Um, I don't know. And before that, uh, my first job, I made sandwiches uh, when I was 16 for $3.10 an hour. It's the best job I've ever had. And uh, I can make a hell of a steak sub, man. I, I know some people call them heroes or whatever, but down in Miami, we call them subs. I'll make you a steak sub if you want one day, Andy. <laughs> those, those early jobs teach you so many things. Oh, those are the best jobs, man. Like wiping that floor in that restaurant at 11 o'clock at night on Saturday, that was like the best. Mine was sweeping tennis courts at five in the morning. Exactly. Like tell, it's just just <laughs> a lot of hard work. Uh, and the best part about it all was I literally minimum wage at that time was Three dollars. I think it was three twenty-five, maybe three ten. Like something outrageous. Like my first paycheck was sixty dollars, and that was like three weeks worth of work. You know. I was also a, <laughs> I was also a garbage man briefly, which is a, a, another story. What? Yeah. So that's another story for another another time. But uh, all right, man. dude, I gotta hear this story. That was a we'll, lot. Of we'll weave it in. Yeah. We'll weave it in. Uh, well, so I guess our our theme here also is the '80s, and uh, we like the '80s. We like the culture, the movies, the icons. And each week we kind of have a movie uh, or a topic or an 80s thing that's going to be the theme. And we're going to have some guests on, which will be great. We have over the years um, been so fortunate to develop just this awesome network of friends um, in, in and out of the data privacy space and kind of tech data uh, lawyers, some non-lawyers, some privacy focused people. Um, hopefully we'll have some product people on too that can can talk more about kind of building products and data flows and um, kind of the more, what I think is kind of the more interesting part, kind of the product counseling aspect of our, 
of our roles. And so I think maybe here in this episode, we'll just talk, we'll talk a little bit about how we met because that's kind of a fun background story to get going and then maybe talk about some of these issues. And uh, so the first, my recollection, I'll start and then you, you jump in. The first time I met you was we were speaking on a panel together in Washington, DC. We had never met and we yes. emailed to meet up and prepare because neither of us had prepared at all. Uh, we met in the hallway <laughs> at this place in DC. And I remember both of us notionally trying to work, but we just kept talking so much. It was so fun. We just covered everything in like, like I don't know, two hours or something. Yeah, I do remember. It was at some fancy old building in DC. I don't remember which one, but I, I have a photo of us on that panel. And I look, first of all, I didn't have a beard. So I look ridiculous. You look the same. Um, and uh, I know it was like an IAPP panel. Yeah, I do remember. Um, yep. shout, out, uh, shout out to Jamie Rubin from uh, Info Law right. Group, who was on that panel with us. And, right. and David Hale, my old boss, the chief privacy officer at Ameritrade, who, who organized it for us. That's and, uh, right. I just remember I talking remember. for a long time with you. And we covered like, we talked about legal stuff. But we also just talked about life. And it was just uh, one of those moments for me, at least, when I... I just Im immediately know that I'm going to be friends with someone. It's just so easy <laughs> and, and uh, so fun. Yeah, no, that was awesome, man. And like my fondest memory of the early days was my first trip to Boston for us to work. I think we, I, there was a panel at Data Zoo, right? That you invited me to. And I met, I met Vivek there. I think that that's when I met Vivek, I'm pretty sure. Um, who's another one of our great friends. Uh, but um I remember us going to dinner, I don't know, some like Boston-y restaurant, just having the best time and uh, uh, yeah, like super hitting it off. And then that panel, I think that's the panel where I said something outrageous, like I don't trust banks or I don't remember, there was some crazy thing where- The question from the audience or, or, or rather a statement from the audience from someone that said, and this is, if you remember, this is before the GDPR. So it was 2017, yes. there was a lot of, um, I would say lingering distrust about financial institutions from, mm -hmm. from what had happened with Lehman Brothers and, and other, you know, other businesses. And somebody said, I just think the banks should control all the data. All the data. <laughs> they, already right. have it. they already have it in your bank account. And there's this long pause. And I just remember you going, I got to say, I think that's a terrible idea. <laughs> Yeah, I do remember that. I do remember that. Yeah, no. And and thank God we haven't moved in that direction where the banks are now data brokers, you know. Uh, that would, I feel like that's not a good look for anybody. Uh, I mean, the banks are doing a great job with what they're doing. Uh, we can, we, that's debatable. Let's have an episode on that sometime. Okay. <laughs> um, well, you mentioned Vivek, who, who's a, a, another really good friend of ours who runs the the privacy and IP and litigation team at Shopify, and uh, mm -hmm. and you know part of a of a group of us who like to get together and talk about these issues. And I, frankly, I was talking with um, one one of those folks yesterday, having a catch up, and she and I were talking. And you know, I said to her, "It's been as helpful." She said, "You know, sort of thanked us for organizing it, and and, and thanked me for." organizing some of the get-togethers that we have and I just said it helps me more than more than it, it, it than anyone uh it helps me so much just to be in touch with colleagues and peers and all these people in this group have gone on to achieve so many cool things that it's just been amazing to see the transformation um over the course of you know a little less than 10 years where people are it's so cool 
Yeah, I agree, man. I love our little privacy painters group and the folks in in our little privacy mock. Such such a good smart collect, collection of smart, uh, substantial people that not only are good lawyers and good practitioners, uh, uh, but just good people. You know, like just people who like you can get a good gut check from. Uh, you know, like their moral compasses. I don't know, well calibrated. I don't know how you make a compass work, but whatever. Like they just, you know, that your the feedback you get from them is going to build integrity and honesty. And, and do you think that um, this is a good question to start, sort of start our, our more substantive uh, discussion? Like, do you think that people that uh, have sort of a principled approach are attracted to data privacy as a as a, a sort of a practice area? Yeah, I think so, man. I mean, look, I think there's like. Now there's like two breeds of privacy, maybe three, but like two main breeds of privacy practitioners slash privacy lawyers. Uh, I think there's the like, uh, the, the folks that really think of privacy as something fundamental that needs to be preserved and needs to be uh, protected. And even in the context of, you know, the great monetization of personal data that's happened over the last 10 or 15 years, 20 years or so, making sure that individual liberties and protections are in place to ensure that folks uh, have some control over how their personal data is being used to make decisions about them. And I think there's a crowd that's really into that as a craft and intellectually curious about those issues and trying to figure out how to forge a path forward that is fair and fundamentally uh, sound and, and that protect people. I think the other batch of privacy lawyers is just, you know, sees a greenfield, sees a practice area that is, is exploding, doesn't necessarily come from this ethical, they might be able to develop it once they get here. I'm not saying these are unethical people, but I, I think that what attracted them wasn't these like big, you know, uh, existential things, but more so the fact that privacy is this like exploding area of law data privacy and data protection let's just use the bigger data protection umbrella yeah. right is this exploding area of law where like specialization is now really starting to take place you know i just like in tax law like you're a tax lawyer but then you're a certain type of tax lawyer and then within that type you are specialized in the specific taxi stuff that i don't understand i think privacy is going in that same direction like this idea of the privacy generalist especially as a lawyer's I just don't think it's gonna exist in 10 years. Like, there, you know, you might have like a chief privacy officer who oversees a bunch of folks that are working on specialty areas, but you know, the idea that a privacy legal department or a privacy program is gonna be made up of a bunch of privacy generalists that know everything about privacy is not realistic uh, okay. for the future. It's, it's too big of a topic. I mean, it, too big, it, yeah. now, it now privacy layers through every, or, every part of the organization. There are, employment issues there are you know corporate issues contracts uh, I, I i cannot think of a part of the organization particularly in a tech company but really in any company because most no. companies are data companies at this point like where privacy does not have a fundamental reach so you are yep. going to have people that really know uh employment and personnel issues as they right. write privacy really cold and and um, financial implications, tax, you know, healthcare, FinServe, all these things, man. Like, th there's no way, like, just, and I, you, you made your point about, you made the point about in-house, but just look at law firms and, like, consultancy firms, right? Like, 
I'm not going to hire a consultancy firm to get some general feedback about privacy. No, I need to, do you have a guy who knows the, th or a gal who knows the thing about the thing that I don't know anything about and is a blind spot for me? That's what I need. Um, you know, I'm not going to hire some fancy law firm to give me, you know, the GDPR, you know, 10 big bullet points. I, I, I know what that is. I need to understand a GDPR issue in the context of an employee who has abandoned their job, who, whatever, whose father these are, you know, like these very narrow niche uh, kind of uh, complex areas. And so I think the specialization within, so privacy is a specialization in and of itself. And then the specialization within privacy, I think, is what the next 10 years I think, we'll manifest. Uh, I think that's right. And I think even if you have a GC, uh, I would put myself in this category as a general counsel that, that has focused on privacy quite a bit. Like, even if you have a GC that isn't doing that and has a team that, that they've appointed to do that and has hired people, they have to know something about it, a significant amount. You know, it's, it's become exactly. one of the entrenched requirements, I think, of being a GC in, in the modern world. Uh, really with the only with few exceptions I think you know I had a lawyer say to me once a GC who's kind of a mentor of mine he's about maybe 15 years 20 years older than me and he said about the GDPR like he said it's cool and it's interesting that you've you've learned so much about it and he said for me it's just a thing I got to get through yeah, that's right it's a thing I got to get through and that always stuck with me like because I totally understood where he was coming from like yeah He's more of a mergers and acquisitions corporate lawyer. And for him, it was, okay, I get that it's important, but I am going to need to have some capabilities on the team around it and have good outside counsel. And I got to get through it. Yeah, uh, no, totally agree. And look, like if we want to get like, if you want to, I talked about the next 10 years and hyper specialization, but it's not even just topical specialization or subject matter, right? So like, we're going to need folks that really understand, you know, like you mentioned, like controller employee issues, and there's going to be some specialization there. But even within that specialization, there's regional distinctions. Like, it's, I think it's going to be unrealistic to expect that uh, one person to understand on a global scale, the privacy regulatory landscape for employee related privacy matters. Because yeah. the rules are so different, right? Like, you know, in the United States, just alone, the rules are different state by state. And then when you look at globally, obviously, there's a European framework within GDPR, then there's India, there's China, there's uh, uh, Brazil. I mean, there's all of these different uh, regional nuances. I just think that, you know, our practice area really, it's just a great time to be a privacy lawyer. And I, we hear that all the time. But the analogy that I like the best is, you know, the best time ever to be an impressionist painter was what, like the 1920s or when, when was Renoir and that whole gang, late 1800s or whatever it was. Like being in Paris when like Monet and Renoir were painting and being an impressionist painter must have been the coolest freaking thing possible, right? Well, we're sort of in that phase of privacy law where we're deciding what privacy law is, how it's gonna function creating the limits and the frameworks that the law is going to work with. And so like now I can study the folks, well, I'm not a painter, but now a painter can study in the impressionist founders and, and, and decide, well, these are the characteristics of impressionism that make this amazing painting. And I think 30 years from now, they'll look at what we've done and say, okay, this is how I run a privacy program. This is how privacy law works. These are the parameters. This is the scope. These are the edges. Like, you know, it's, it's a cool place, man. Like we're, we're builders.
it truly is art, not science at this point. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what's fun about it, I think, certainly for people like us. And, and, um, and, and it's, it's a really, I agree, it's a really interesting time. Well, so how did you get into it? Do you want to start there a little bit? Can you, how did you get into it? The privacy hustle, like for me, you know, I mean, I grew up pretty humbly. So I didn't, you know, I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s. And when I say grew up, I mean like my formative year, like 10 to 17 or whatever. It is. Um, and, uh, you know, we didn't have a ton, but I got my first computer or we got our first home computer around, it was probably when I said like 92, 93. Um, and just became fascinated with, uh, you know, th this amazing network that was being built, uh, uh, this global network, you know, obviously the internet. Um, and how it worked. I mean, back then it was like, you know, dial in modem, dial modems and AOL. Um, but I remember the first website I ever visited. I, I remember literally logging on my compact PC, top of the line, 13 inch monitor, um, you know, uh, with my uh, little Pentium two or whatever it was. And, and, um, and going on NBA.com, a huge basketball fan. And just being like, oh my God, everything I ever wanted to know about the NBA is right here. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to wait for the newspaper and collect a hundred newspapers. Like everything I want about the NBA is right here. This must be true for everything else. And sure enough, while the internet was much wilder back then, a lot of information was starting to go online. Um, some of it trustworthy, some of it not, but just there was a lot of stuff out there available to see. And I was always curious about, and this is in my high school years, how like companies like America Online thought about how I use their service. I was always interested, like, like what's happening at America Online when I'm checking email and what's happening at America Online when I'm like in the chat room or instant messaging or like, what, where's all this data being stored? How does this all work? Now, I That's didn't amazing. have any real theories. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like I thought about it then. I never thought about that stuff. About not, certainly yeah, not I totally was like. I was using it, but not about what was happening. Yeah, I was super curious. And then I was curious. So I was curious what was happening at America Online. And it just seemed like this magical place where like, just all of this communication was happening. And then I was also curious about what was happening inside my computer. So I started opening that sucker apart and trying to understand, like, I mean, this is in the 90s. So like, okay, this is what a hard drive is. And this is RAM and what RAM does. I got really curious about technology. Then um, I went off to college. I studied political science, you know, not really uh, anything related to tech. Um, did the army thing, was an intelligence guy for a little bit. And really there became super interested. And now we fast forwarded to the early 2000s. You know, I'm really interested in the government's access to all of these information systems and how it was used for government purposes. What and did you notice, so just quickly, like you mentioned something and yeah. passed it really quickly. What did you notice about data and information when you were in the army? You don't have to go into it for, for too long, but like, did you notice anything or did you take away learnings about information and data at that time? Yeah, here's what I noticed. Information is extremely powerful and, and has real world implications, uh, meaning this intelligence and intelligence sounds like this esoteric thing intelligence is just information about stuff of interest okay um and so intelligence really decides strategy right like here based on what we know and what we think is happening we make decisions about where to go next what to do where do you know where the bad guys are whatever um 
the boundary to intelligence or the barrier, one of the barriers to intelligence is you got to go find it. You got to go get it. Right. And so technology has created all these ways where stuff that wasn't information before, but now is like metadata from my cell phone. Right. That didn't exist in the 1980s, but it exists in the early 2000s. Well, I don't need, maybe I don't need a warrant to, because I'm not listening, but I can learn a ton about Pedro just based on who he's calling, what numbers he's calling and where he's calling from and what cell towers he interacts with and the people he talks to interact with. Right. And so this was all really starting to manifest in the early 2000s. Um, uh, and there's plenty of literature about that, but I became super interested in it that way because decisions about operations were being made based on data that didn't exist 25 years ago before or even 10 years before, right and and then the question for me was because i'm in law school i was in law school uh, at the time was well how does all of this reconcile with the constitution right yeah. I, I you know i became really interested in okay yeah. well what well, well, what are my individual rights in the scope of this now very sweeping surveillance capacity that not just the U.S. government, but that corporations have and that uh, foreign governments and foreign companies have and individuals have, right? So that's where all my curiosity really came from. In law school, I was super involved in like some techie stuff. And I had a great professor. Her name's Andrea Matwish, and I hope she watches this because she really was the one who was like, dude, go do this privacy and security thing. You're going to be great at it. And it's going to be a blockbuster practice area. And so cool. everyone, That's so cool that you got that advice in law school. Like I didn't... Yeah. I would have loved that. I didn't yeah. even become aware of the things that you're discussing really until in a weird context, I was clerking for a judge and we were doing in Baltimore, we were doing a lot of criminal cases like murder, high profile criminal cases. And like yeah. those cases had this data as evidence. It was the first time I'd seen cell records and, you know, discussions about where someone was when a cell tower was pinged and things like this. And that was when I started to, to become aware of the ubiquitous nature of data in our society and how it's gonna, you know, potentially convict someone of, of a crime uh, or, or be part of the- Or serve as evidence, that, yeah. That, yeah. yeah. that convicts someone. So, and then I later, you know, going in-house at TD Ameritrade, a very different job, but, uh, um, you know, having this, this, boss that was focused on it and I had never been focused on it before and and sort of bringing it to light for me so much later that for me than than for you that's interesting yeah I mean I got lucky and and super shout out to professor Matwishan. um you know she was doing this stuff before it was kind of cool you know like I mean and she's still doing it um uh and she's she's a badass but uh you know she really encouraged me. She was my contract professor. And like, you know, you know, but she also taught like a, a privacy, a data, a data privacy, like seminar, I think it was. And there was like seven or eight of us in that class. Um, and, you know, I, I keep in touch with some of the folks from that class. I think I'm probably the only one who went on to do, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think I'm the only one from that little group that went on to do this. Um, everybody else went on to be fancy lawyers, but just not, um, not, not in this space specifically but she really was a, a, a big trigger for me um to to do this and and i'm really grateful to her because uh i can't i mean at this point 15 years whatever later i i can't imagine doing anything else like can you imagine me as a tax lawyer oh my god <laughs> i mean i can't that's tough for me for anybody but i'm, I'm happy that there are people <laughs> out there that want to do it and like doing it yeah shout out yeah. to them for doing it shout out to the tax lawyers <laughs> and uh yeah and and my you know, so I mentioned David Hale at Ameritrade, who was a who was a mentor in the privacy space. But 
um, you know, some of it just came from when you and I started interacting, you know, between Oracle and, and DataZoo and the other ad tech companies, what was so interesting is uh, how, how much advertising and marketing is, is a, uh, I don't know, like the, the hub of the wheel for privacy in a lot of ways. You know, there's, yeah. there's health and there's finance and there's a lot of data um, going on, going running through there. But because we have this sectoral approach in the United States, you know, you have HIPAA and you have GLB and you have, you know, frameworks for some of these other things and advertising and marketing didn't have that. And so for so long, we had this self-regulation um, mode that we were in around advertising and marketing. And it allowed us to really, you know, not, not perfectly, of course, but to, to come up with some framework on our own, you know, to think through how we would approach privacy in, in the sense that, uh, we were getting a lot of data, having a lot of access to the data you mentioned through internet services and just what, what are the ways in which that data should be used uh, to power the internet. Um, and, you know, obviously companies did things, some did things that worked, some did things that didn't work, some did things that um, probably weren't, um, you know, maybe, maybe violated some codes or didn't, did or didn't. And so, there was a process of maturation through that. And I don't, I don't know, uh, we're not all the way there yet. I think until we have an online or, or a, or a comprehensive U S privacy law, I don't think we're there yet in terms of full coverage of internet data. Yeah. You know, it's funny, ad tech, both of us like cut our teeth in ad tech in some ways, right? Like that's where we really became like privacy gurus or whatever. Um, I think ad, look, ad tech is the Kanye West of data privacy, right? Like it does a lot of amazing things. Ad tech literally enables the free medium internet and a lot of amazing content that otherwise would be behind paywalls and all sorts of obstacles, right? For us to get access to. Um, and, ad, and ad tech also creates a lot of innovation in how data is is, is analyzed and you know data science all of this amazing work happens in the context of ad tech but there's also a little belligerence in there right there's also a little wackiness like too far into the future or too far out beyond the edges of what we understand to be reasonable and i think you know ad tech pushes the boundaries and continues to do so of like what's acceptable meaning from a privacy perspective Sometimes ad tech gets it wrong, like Kanye, you know, but a lot of the time, <laughs> we'll ad tech... I'm laughing at Kanye West uh, as, yeah. as ad tech, which is great. Ad tech is the Kanye West of private. Excuse me. Yeah. Ad tech is the it Kanye is. West of private. It is. <laughs> and I'm also laughing at a friend of mine from DataZoo, uh, David Shapiro, who, who said once about, we were always innovating and, and in a lot of ways we were ahead of things in some ways and, and working on stuff. And he would always say like, it's really challenging to sell a customer something when they don't know they need it yet. You know, <laughs> and that, and that was always, that always stuck with me as an, as an interesting, like a line about ad tech. There were so many ways in which people were innovating in ways that, hey, lo and behold did work. And then some that, you know, maybe were too, too ahead of their time or, or people weren't ready for it. But, but here's the reality. Here's the reality. And sticking with the Kanye analogy, right? Like 808 Heartbreaks was Kanye making this wild transition from like the, where rap was when Kanye came into rap music to where rap is now, right? Like 808 Heartbreaks was this like emotional, like in 
internal self-analytical album with a lot of like, some people would say whining, but I'd say just like this very introspective, somber musical style, um, a lot of melody, a lot of things that like just was not acceptable in rap music at the time. Like rap music was very tough and very street oriented and all these things. And when 808 Heartbreaks dropped, people were like, what the hell is this crap? Like nobody knew what to do with that album. I remember when I bought it, I, I was living in North Carolina at the time. And I thought, wow, like this is completely out, not what I expected. And, and, and most people agreed. Now, all of rap music is like, Kanye is like everyone's dad now. Like there can be no Drake without that, without 808 Heartbreaks. There can be no Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne, you can argue, but there can be like no Travis Scott. None of these like contemporary acts that are really mainstream can exist without Kanye saying, rap is going to change and it's going to be this other way now. And while it wasn't really appreciated at the time as a masterpiece, now people look back at that album and go, oh my goodness, it revolutionized the entire genre. So maybe it's Ad Tech does. Yeah, well, that's where I'm going. Like, <laughs> Ad Tech does a lot of stuff that when you're watching ad tech companies do it, you're like, oh my God, this is insane. What do you mean, uh, you know, like cross device? Like, what do you mean? You know, like, how, what do you mean you're gonna know what I'm doing no matter what device I'm on, right? But like now there's applications for cross device that are go beyond advertising that make perfect sense. And everyone completely accepts them as, as the norm. And like, for example, when I jump on iCloud on one device and I buy one, all my settings transfer, everything moves over. Like there's this identity that travels across devices in, in context outside of advertising that right now, if I didn't have that, it would drive me crazy. Yeah, you um, expected, but, expected. Yeah, but like the foundation for that convenience was laid by the ad tech industry 10 years ago, right? Like, and so while we talk about it in the context of advertising and we go, oh, that's spooky. In other contexts, we're like, that's amazing. We need that. Like this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. So, yeah. you know, I'm not trying to give ad tech, you know, too too many accolades because there's definitely challenges but i i think sometimes it gets the bad rub just be because interesting, right we can we can sort of yeah. we can wrap up on this it'll be interesting because ad tech is in a renaissance period right now yeah, um, yeah. with third-party cookies um not not being the way forward and so it's going to be really interesting to see what that incredibly smart group of people does with privacy and data protection issues bearing down on them um, and having to find a new way uh, to enable technology and and still you know respect the regulators you know and respect yeah, respect the rules and just, sorry it's not just the regulators it's people and you know and gotta respect people. the people and the and the you know you, you expectations said, you said something about you know about when uh there's a recent decision about uh you know like in sort of in the weeds on data privacy about um data flows between europe and the united states and i think you said something like well but the, but is it making anyone feel safer about their data mm -hmm. or that their data is more protected and the answer is at the moment not necessarily and so um, it'll be interesting to see how they how they how that gets addressed yeah that's my shrems theory which is like after shrems too and i said the same thing um after safe harbor uh, you know, the day after those decisions were made and Safe Harbor was invalidated and Privacy Shield was invalidated, my question was, whose privacy is better protected today than yesterday's? You know, you know I think the answer to that is probably no one's um, because nothing has literally changed. Um, and so was the effort worth 
but that's your point, which is we, we have to see, like we have to see what new frameworks evolve and whether those have better protection. And then if everyone adopts those new frameworks, then the answer is everyone's privacy. Yeah. 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 But right now, more to come. More to come. Great first conversation. Um, thanks for, for that. Our next guest uh, uh, will be coming up. We'll be recording in, in a couple weeks and push it out uh, another morning soon. That's dope, man. I'm glad we're doing this. We're going to have some fun and uh, hopefully people watch this and don't think we're jerks. <laughs> well, we'll edit you. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll do that, <laughs> All right, man. All right, my All right, man. We'll talk to you. All right.